My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Close Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. And today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. Today is Friday, March 18th in New York City. It's turning into spring out by Cade and the cornfields, not so much. <laughs> this is maybe one of the last weekends or weeks of the year where we're not going to really have any major releases. Probably the biggest movie to release this weekend is Deep Water, which stars Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas and hit Hulu, and it's a erotic thriller. Uh, last week, we had mulled the idea of doing a sort of Ben Affleck central episode, but because this movie it isn't really getting good reviews and isn't erotic nor campy enough to be a legitimately <laughs> like fun, erotic, campy thriller, yeah. we're just going to keep a Ben Affleck show on our back pocket. And instead, we're going to discuss the first reactions for Moon Knight, the social embargo lifted this week, the first trailer for Miss Marvel dropped. And there are some reports of Damon Lindelof writing a Star Wars film. So let's start with Moon Knight. Critics have screened the first four out of six, which I've been getting the screening since The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And that's as many as they've given us thus far. And I can see why they give us four, because in the fourth, it takes a sort of dramatic, not in terms of tone, but in terms of plot, a dramatic shift. Uh, like it becomes something different in episode four. So I think that that's why they gave us that many. My general review of what I've seen so far, and this is the same thing I tweeted. So this is my social reaction, is that the mummy uh, Moon Knight is like the mummy on shrooms minus the sexiness. It's definitely structured more like a film than a series. I actually thought that the action in the first four was pretty scattershot and withheld. So I'm hoping that it's unleashed more in the final two. Uh, I definitely think that the, the series could use a bit more propulsion at the start, but the plot and Oscar Isaac are enough to keep you engaged. Now, as I always say, when it comes to MCU Disney Plus series, I can't really properly judge these shows until I've seen the whole thing. Like the Hawkeye finale significantly raised what I thought of it. Right. So those are my thoughts on what I've seen so far in general. In particular, the pilot, I think it's fascinating because not only... Are we learning this character's origin story? But he is too. You know, there's a very right. Venom-esque element to the split personas that he has. For example, Khonshu, who's like the moon god that controls him, refers to the Stephen Knight persona, which is like the main one, which is like the mm -hmm. quote-unquote normal one, as idiot. So there's a very sort of dueling persona thing going on. But it's far less goofy than Venom and at times wades into light horror mcu horror not you know traditional <laughs> scary but for the mcu you know the unveiling of moon knight for the first time sort of plays like a horror possession scene mm. i think that oscar isaac's casting is crucial because a less talented actor wouldn't be able to sort of nail the terror and confusion that comes with stephen grant and then therefore allows you to feel sorry for what would otherwise be a off the wall character. So, Kate, before I read some more reactions, what are you hoping to see in Moon Knight and how excited are you compared to other MCU stuff that's set to come out this year? I'll say the the thing about like Disney Plus in general, like this is the first Marvel character that hasn't had a prior entry, right? Like this is a new character that we are being introduced to via the medium of television, which mm -hmm. I think is really interesting. Obviously, there's Daredevil and stuff, but this is MCU 
uh, grounded. So I think that's really fascinating. I'm excited to see what they're able to do with a long form origin story, I guess. I don't know. Like I, I'm excited for this show because I like Moon Knight, but like nothing I've seen of it is like, oh, this is going to be great. This is like the daredevil we need in this in this world. Because like, uh, I think that's where I was at before I saw the trailers. And don't get me wrong, I'm still excited for this show. It looks good. It's just not quite the level I'm expecting. I think or hoping for. Um, but I'm interested in seeing the them take on a psychological element and maybe some trippier elements too. I mean, they've been pretty good at that so far with Doctor Strange. So it's definitely trippy in a different way. Okay. Yeah. It's like not that. visually trippy. I mean, of course, a fucking moon god that looks like a dead right. bird <laughs> is visually trippy, but yeah. it's not so much like trippy in the construction of he's talking to a moon bird guy. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I can appreciate that coming at that at a different angle and stuff. So I, I, I'm going in with tempered expectations, not expecting the moon, but uh, <laughs> I, I am I'm excited nonetheless because I, I want this to be good. And, you know, I think because it's not a, uh, a character that we've seen in the MCU yet, and it's also a character that I'm sure a lot of mainstream audiences aren't familiar with, uh, it may have a chance to be better than a lot of the other ones because there's not as many expectations from those kinds of people. Uh, as to you know maybe they'll be surprised uh, but I'm interested I'm really interested especially after hearing positive reactions I definitely I think the debate about whether it should have been a movie or show has been intriguing and is even more so now that I've seen it because I felt kind of two ways and I know I've said this on the show I'm not sure if I've said it to you you don't cast someone like Oscar Isaac in a superhero role to permanently relegate him right. to TV right exactly. uh, you assume that he's the type of actor playing the type of character that you would want whether it be in his own films used in the films to some extent whether that's blade or whatever combined with the fact that i do feel like it's structured more like a movie and less like a series wherein usually classic tv shows will try to leave you on a cliffhanger-esque moment at the end mm -hmm. this just feels like they picked the sixth or five best places that they could pause until <laughs> next week which is not which is not a bad thing sure but i also think that tv was ultimately the right decision because what we just touched on the frankly outlandishness of the character and sort of where his power set comes from and how he engages with himself could be quite a large pill to swallow in a three-act two-hour movie right so the idea of the pilot which was like 50 minutes long, essentially being the first act works much better because you're less overwhelmed with the Egyptian gods and the myths mm -hmm. and the multiple personalities and the TV format just makes it a bit more digestible. Um, let's read off some other first reactions from the industry. Your colleague over at comic book, Jimmy Viscardi, who is apparently a huge Moon Knight fan, says yes. the first episode of the show is everything that I want. It's everything that we love about what the MCU could do, but goes way beyond it and positions it as one of the most unique shows properties that we've seen. Isaac is great and Khonshu is fantastic. Also from comicbook.com, we have Brandon Davis. Moon Knight is really good. Episodes one and four are my favorite. Oscar Isaac is great. Steven and Mark costumes look fantastic. It's definitely Marvel's darkest and scariest. The mysteries kept me really engaged and it plays a lot like a film. Kind of what I said, can't wait to see five and six. This next one comes from Jacob Fisher over at Discussing Film. Watched the first four, Moon Knight, and absolutely loved what I've seen so far. Oscar Isaac delivers a near-perfect performance. Ethan Hawke, who we didn't even really talk about, is brilliant 
as expected. And May Calway, Calmaway is a delightful surprise. The exploration into Egyptian mythology is full and rich and intriguing details. And I loved every second of how they built this new corner of the MCU. As I sort of said, episode four was my favorite, leaving on an exciting cliffhanger, an excellent sign that this series could be the best content from Disney Plus yet. And finally, we have Eric Davis from over at Fandango. The first episode of Moon Knight is a blast, super weird and wild, and I'm already in love with Oscar Isaac's performance. I'm a big fan of dry, awkward British humor and the mix of that with the psychological thriller elements really give it a unique feel from other MCU shows. I think that that's probably the most accurate way, way to describe it is while Marvel and its products could feel very homogenized and singular, Moon Knight does feel a bit different. Now, as I said, the the horror is a bit watered down to Marvel's plane, but it's still trying. And I think that that's right. worth giving a props for. All right, moving on. That is not the only piece of Marvel content news, however you want to put it, that rolled out this week is we got the first trailer for Miss Marvel, which is going to be the second MCU show of the year following Moon Knight. That it's going to premiere on June 8th. And similar to Moon Knight, it is also serving as an introduction to a character. What's fascinating about this is yeah. <laughs> Miss Marvel and Moon Knight are on two opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum of what MCU heroes could be like. And I think that getting those two back to back as introductions is a sort of a bold step from them. My general thoughts of the trailer were, I actually thought the trailer was really good. I thought the trailer was a lot of fun. Now, does that mean I am going to be a huge fan of this show? I don't know because I wasn't crazy about turning red, even though a lot of people were just because, you know, 29 year old white dude here, not really the target, (laughs) not really the target demo. Uh, That doesn't mean I can't enjoy something if it's not aimed at me. It's just that I'm not going to connect with Miss Marvel as much as I am. Right. Put it like did you that. play the so, Avengers game? I did. I did. So that so I have a familiarity with her from there now. The vibe from the trailer that I got with the animation style that they seem to overlay on it. Yeah. You, I, I don't know if you've watched it since our draft. Very much reminded me of the tone of Mitchell's verse, The mm-hmm. Machines. It also reminded me of Into the Spider-Verse and also Spider-Man Homecoming. What are your thoughts on the trailer in general? Vibe, tone, character, plot, whatever. It's very uh wholesome i guess uh mm. sweet uh and and just all the stuff they're doing with the camera very twisty and turny and uh it just has a very fun vibe it feels like a kid who's writing in their journal or whatever mm. and like being very cartoony about it uh i feel much more receptive to this than i do to like homecoming uh, and I think that's because I have a lot of different ideas of what Spider-Man should be. Uh, not that I don't like that movie. I just think this is a better character to do a high school story and really embracing like a person coming up as a hero and not giving her, uh, you know, a lot of like technology or something. Right. Like she is from the ground up a superhero uh, in the most rags to riches kind of way, I guess. Uh, and I, I, I'm really engaged by again just the tone of just like it feels very lighthearted and it feels like there's a vision here i know the mcu gets a lot of slack for for not having a clear vision across all of its movies some people like taika and james gunn have a better sense of that but this seems to also fall in line with with those more than something like john watts i would say 
so I'm really interested in this. And I, I saw the video of the girl who plays Ms. Marvel uh, afterwards. I don't know if you saw this, but it was very sweet. She's like crying because she's so happy that she's Ms. Marvel and uh, the positive reception of the trailer. So she seems like a sweet kid. So this, it looks great. Uh, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, I think you say a key word there, wholesomeness. I think that that is definitely yeah. something that radiates off this trailer. And that even though I may not find myself uh, compelled by the plot, I have a feeling I'm going to like this show sure. just because it feels like it's going to be a good time. Now, yeah. in terms of what we actually saw, Charlie didn't really give us much in terms of plotting. We don't know sort of how she gets her powers. We don't know who the antagonist is going to be. The only yeah. really thing, the only really concrete thing that we get is what her powers are and how they're different <laughs> from the comics. Now, Via IGN, in the comics, Kamala is depicted as an inhuman, which, of course, Marvel Studios famously tried a few years ago <laughs> on a terrible ABC uh, show, which they've since pretty much banished from reality. It, it, we don't talk it, about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it might as well not even exist at this point. She's completely unaware of her inhuman heritage until one day she's exposed to a cloud of Terrigen mist and her powers suddenly manifest. Kamala becomes a polymorph she's able to stretch and expand her body into all sorts of disgustingly useful shapes basically like mr fantastic or elastic girl the trailer makes it clear that that's not what happens at all in the mcu here she seems to gain her gain her powers from a cosmic bracelet which instead of making her stretchy the bracelet radiates purple energy aura that she could use to form fists form shields or even walk on air a very green lantern type right. power now i don't have any experience with this character so i don't have like a predisposition of what i want or what i expect i will say from a practicality standpoint this power makes way more sense and is way more visually compelling mm -hmm. i think that the whole elastic power is a very dated comic book power um it is going to be interesting to see how they make mr fantastic cool because they're not going right. to be able to retcon his powers those no. are sticking here yeah. They made what I think is a smart change. I wouldn't be surprised if they specifically changed her powers because they know the Fantastic Four is coming. And they're like, we don't want two of the pretty much exact same characters. One is a little girl and one's an adult man. But like, you know, there there's not a lot of flexibility, I guess, in in terms of two flexible characters. Um, so that that it's an interesting change. Like, you know, going from the game, which is my only real experience with Miss Marvel. To this, it is like, wow, they really did something completely different. Um, I, I really liked her in, in that game. She was one of the standout characters for me in that story. Um, yeah, I, so, I feel like the first sort of introduction level is the best part of the game. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing. Uh, then everything falls apart after that. But uh, it's, it's it's a great character. I, I, I like, again, the seeing the MCU through the eyes of a child, uh, mm. I think is a very cool uh idea uh and we again we got a little bit of that with spider-man but uh i don't necessarily always love some of the takes they've done i i like tom holland i like some of the things they've done but there are elements of it that just don't quite get there for me and so this seems like a much more organic and natural fit to all of that yeah opinion. yeah and i'm curious if that her powers like in the comic book as i just read she has an inhuman heritage. It's been right. in her family. And in the trailer, you see her getting these sort of cosmic wrist shields from like an ancient chest type thing. 
So I'm wondering if they're going to carry that part of her story over and have some sort of explanation as to how, like how these powers have been in her family for some time. I'm definitely fascinated to see how they fit this into the MCU, especially considering that it's directly implied and announced that she's going to be in the Captain Marvel sequel, which is just going to be called the Marvels sort of leads me to my next point, potential cameos for this series. You got to think Captain Marvel's at the top. Right. Like yeah, in, in like in like the sixth and final being like, good job, kid. Now come join yeah. me in space. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> like that. Uh, we have Monica Rambeau, who we haven't seen since WandaVision and who mm-hmm. some people think we may get an alternate universe version of in Doctor Strange 2. I think that Nick Fury could pop up given his direct connections with Captain Marvel. And I think finally scrolls could pop up as well. Now, do I think that something cosmic are going to be the villains necessarily? No, but I do think that the show is going to go a long way to connecting it to the cosmic corner of the yeah, MCU. Definitely. Yeah, it seems like a foregone conclusion that Brie Larson will be in it somehow. We, I mean, we haven't seen her since Avengers Endgame at all. Well, she's in the Shang-Chi po- uh, post credit scene. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. But, that's, yes, but, that, but still, point stands. Uh, barely seen her at all like she her biggest role was probably in you know her own movie i mean endgame she shows up at the end to fuck shit up that's kind of the end of it uh we haven't gotten a lot of development of her in this present day uh setting um so yeah i'm I'm interested to see where all that goes i I think they're done filming the marbles already so Mm uh maybe we get like Remember at the end of uh, the first Captain America movie when it had a trailer for uh, mm. Avengers 1? Maybe mm. we get, you know, maybe not a, quite a trailer. I mean, they did that with uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, with um, Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, yeah. So they could do something like that. Remember, again. though, Marvels is not dated until 2023. Yeah, but this will be, do we know when? 2023? Uh, let me double check. I know it was one of the ones that got moved recently. I mean, you have to imagine this runs. This is well, probably going to be six to eight episodes. Starts in June, probably goes oh, to so August, February. So not that far. I think that's entirely possible. It's because, like, if this goes from end of July, early August, or something, right? right. Uh, I think that's that's a reasonable time to put out the first trailer or yeah. teaser. It'll be cool to see if the conflict in this movie carry uh, in this show carries over into that film, and just how connected uh, yeah. they want to make these two characters i mean her name is miss marvel you yeah know? <laughs> this, all right this would definitely be the first show that would probably have the direct connection to a upcoming movie yeah yeah, yeah. i guess wandavision but <laughs> uh yeah, yeah but no i i take your point all right next piece of big news of the week according to the ankler which is sort of a new hollywood newsletter type thing uh they've got a few verified people who write for them so i'm going to take them at their word Damon Lindelof, showrunner of Watchmen, he's also worked on projects such as The Leftovers and Lost, is reportedly working on a Star Wars film. Now, this joins the Taika Waititi film, the Kevin Feige film, and Rogue Squadron, which they are allegedly still committed to, despite the reported creative differences with director Patty Jenkins. Kate, you had a great tweet about this, so why don't you share what you said and your thoughts about this in general? Oh, yeah. I, I was like, it did? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you thought Ryan Johnson was crazy, you'd buckle the fuck up because Lindelof is, he's a wild one in terms of his takes. I mean, all you gotta do is go look at the Watchmen show if you want to see how uh, subversive he, he maybe gets with, with known franchises. 
So that should be your first indicator and in the leftovers. I have not watched all of it. I've seen a couple episodes, but I'm like, this is a pretty crazy show. And yeah, uh, dark, heavy. He, he did Lost, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mixed bag. But I don't think he was involved with that all the way through. I think he was in their early days. So this is a guy that if you're going to give the keys to Star Wars, he's not coming in as just a hitman, you know, for hire. He's coming in to do whatever he probably wants to do. Uh and I would imagine that comes from they saw him on Watchmen and were like, hmm, maybe you want to try your hand at Star Wars? Uh, that's an interesting idea. There's no details on what he's doing, right? No, but all. and as you pointed out, he hasn't really done anything since Watchmen. He wrote the 2020 film The Hunt, but other than that, it's been quiet. So I'm curious how long he's been at work on this. Yeah, he, he's uh, someone who's very, I think, meticulous and like works on something until it's ready. So uh, if this has happening, and I, I, I hope it is because it just sounds so cool because uh, I think he's a very visionary creator. Um, I want to see it happen. I don't know what he would do, though. It's hard for me to even wrap my head around what he would do in the Star Wars universe just because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would do it unless he's given some sort of unique perspective. He does have a past of sort of working in space films. He's the writer on Cowboys and Aliens. He's a writer on, (laughs) he's a writer on Prometheus. He's a writer on Star Trek Into Darkness. And he's a writer on World War Z, which is not quite space, but, and then he's a writer on Tomorrowland as well. So kind of a mixed bag there, but certainly has got the credentials to do something like this. I think it's brave on part of Disney. I mean, we're all, we're only five years removed from The Last Jedi, which still is probably the most divisive Star Wars thing ever, which is really saying something considering yeah. the fandom. But the fact that they're going to this well not only speaks to perhaps their bravery in taking on the Star Wars fandom, but could also potentially give insight into their future film strategy. And instead of going the MCU route or even the sequel trilogy route of everything being connected, just letting singular minds like Taika or Feige or Damon creating their own film. If it does well, sure, we'll do more of them. But it seems to me that they're going with more of a what DC is currently doing, where let's just let creative people who we trust to have a vision get their hands on this and then go from there so i definitely think it's a cool choice on their part uh final piece of big news here kate and i will let you take this one over we got a pretty extended look this week at the upcoming upcoming as in this year long in the works as far as i understand game hogwarts legacy so why don't you talk to us about what that is what's been going on yeah you're not wrong about it being in the works for a very long time because i remember like the trailer for it leaked like years before anything actually was actually announced. So people just knew this thing exists and like, is that still happening? And then in 2020, they officially announced it and people got really excited because it's uh, a game. It's an RPG where you play as a student at Hogwarts uh, custom made and really get to kind of do your own thing. If you want to go to classes, you go to classes. You want to go on adventures in the Forbidden Forest and other parts of the Harry Potter universe. You can do that. Um, it's set hundreds of years prior to the books and films. Yeah, so, I saw a late 1800s. <clears throat> yeah, so it, it won't probably have much, you know, connection to even like uh, Fantastic Beasts or anything like that, I imagine, which I, I, I like. Just This is a rich world that you can do a lot with. And, and in the current movies and books, they have already established like there's a long spanning history here of 
weird wizard shit. Uh, so to be able to dive into that is exciting for me. Uh, I'm not necessarily hooked on the like main story that they're kind of pushing of like a goblin uprising. I think that's just kind of like a little lame. But oh, interesting. Uh, I I I do think one of the problems that prequels have is like if if Deathly Hallows is the peak of the Harry Potter universe in terms of scale, you know, with Voldemort coming and fucking up everything you can't really go bigger than that in a prequel because that was supposed to be the biggest thing that had ever happened. But do you think that that matters when you cross mediums? No, not necessarily. I, I, I would just like more of an interesting story, I think, and maybe it will be more interesting. But uh, what they're doing, you know, like I'm okay if the story is like a little mediocre if if everything else is good and it looks like it's the Hogwarts game that people have been hoping this would be where you're going to class, you're sleeping in the dorming halls or whatever, and exploring this rich school with tons of little hidden crevices that you've seen before and haven't seen before. I think they, in a teaser trailer showed like a, a small snippet of the chamber of secrets. So that was really cool. Um, you and, get to learn how to make potions, learn new spells, exactly. all yeah. the, it's very engaging and interactive. I think this is the the thing that Harry Potter fans have always wanted but never gotten. Like there were Harry Potter games when those movies were coming out, but they were largely confined to a linear story following the story of the movie. Um, the the one thing I am a little concerned about is uh, it's very hard to make a Harry Potter action game because you're implying there are like shootouts with people where you go right, you know, flicking your hands back and forth and. There's it's not so really much- conducive yeah. to intense, aesthetically pleasing action. Yeah, like for a movie, it works, right? Because you can feel that palpable tension where like one hit, you're dead. But like in a game, you have to build in, you know, some some leeway so the players immediately die. And I would, are we going to be taking cover like James Bond? And, you know, <laughs> right. Blind firing. So uh, <laughs> that there are interesting spells that, you know, there's stealth takedowns. And uh, I saw one where he picks up a guy and just slams into the ground repeatedly. I'm like, that looks cool. Um, he he kills a guy at one point by using the death spell, Avada Kedavra. Yeah, yeah, Whoa, yeah. All right, this guy's yeah. heavy. Um, I mean, these are the type of games I love. It's the type of games that Arkham Knight were. It's the type of game that I hope Avengers would be. It's the type <laughs> of game that I want to see Star Wars take on, an RPG set in an IP world that I love where basically you get a chance to live in this world is like the ultimate form of gaming to me. So on that principle alone, I'm hyped for this. And I'm not even, I mean, I definitely like rewatched the Harry Potter films probably yearly just because there's a very Halloween winter vibe to them that I enjoy, but I'm not a Harry Potter fanatic by any stretch of the word, but this is the type of game that I'll be buying day one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, and the thing I can really appreciate about it is because people have been waiting a long time for this. It's easy for a developer to come back to their big showing and hype it up too much. I mean, we've seen this with games like Cyberpunk, but there were no man's sky. Yeah, exactly. There were flaws in this like demo where like the lip syncing was off. It looked a little rough around the edges, but like I appreciate that because it's transparent. It's like we're not going to give you some bullshit. We're going to show you how it is right now. The game comes out in a year, so like. Don't worry, this will be smoothed over, but it feels realistic. It doesn't. And this game is coming to Nintendo Switch, by the way. They announced this yesterday. That's crazy to me because this game looks very 
big. big. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, that. they've expanded the world like beyond like the Hogwarts outer realms. They've expanded further to places we've never seen in the film. So exactly, it's it's going to be a, a very big open world, and I'm excited to ride around the broomstick and see elves and weird monsters. And- My um best friend Chris is like a Harry Potter fanatic, and he was like, "I'd pay two hundred dollars for this game." <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sure they'll have some sort of special edition where you get a wand or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, but just just to show the hype of of how a fan is feeling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this will have a major mainstream appeal because Harry Potter is you know has got to be top five, ten biggest IPs ever. Yeah. I, I maybe and especially <laughs> if the Fantastic Beast film that's coming out in a month, if that sort of rewrites the ship of that franchise and gets people like G'd up on that world, mm-hmm. it'll be a hit. And I just yeah. want to, I know that they, there have been a lot of starts and stops in terms of when it's being released, but they seem to confirm a holiday season 2022 window. So yeah, uh, it was coming supposed to come out last year and uh, they delayed it. So they seem pretty confident um, in, in that. Uh, hopefully it hits. I, I mean, such a vague window that anything can move at any time, but uh, Warner Bros. is a really big year this year right now with uh, Gotham Knights and and this. Uh, it would be mm. nice to have those both in a pretty, you know, condensed amount of time back to back. So their uh, Suicide Squad game got bumped though, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some quick hitters, then we'll take a quick break, and then it is my interview with Dylan O'Brien. Daredevil Reboot, latest issue of Production Weekly, which provides listings of pre-production or in-production projects for film professionals, includes a section for a show simply referred to as Daredevil Reboot. People are assuming that this is a Disney Plus show. I think that Daredevil being worked back into the MCU is obviously a matter of if and not when, but also a matter of how. And to what extent they reboot him? Yeah, it's you have to imagine that. I know Charlie Cox has already kind of talked about it a little bit with like uh, he's like maybe they'll just set it you know after time has passed, like real time. So that seems to be like he's he knows right if they're filming it in at the end of this year or whatever, he must know something. So that seems to indicate to me that this is not like starting over in like a new new. Wow. A new universe. Uh, it seems like it would be a continuation down the line. So you think uh, it's going to be the same character? I think so. I mean, like, they've already established Vincent D'Onofrio is back as Kingpin. Right. They got him. Uh, right. I forgot about that. Right. It, it, and all those shows are on Disney Plus now. Uh, so, I mean, like, they have the foundation. They're like, hey, if you haven't seen this, there you go. I imagine what what do you do? Just like add season four onto the the current Daredevil uh, listing on Disney Plus. So it seems likely they would just continue it, not directly. Again, time will have passed, I'm sure. And and in terms of tone, I hope it keeps some of its tone and doesn't become too Disneyified. Yeah, I didn't love what they uh, did with Kingpin and Hawkeye. I thought he was literally like a bouncy ball, just like bouncing all over the place and shit. And I was <laughs> that's like, a great, yeah, that's great. weird. Um, I want to see, you know, I don't expect them to have him shove someone's car or he- head into a car door, but uh, right. I want them to still keep some some sense of grandness and maturity. Yeah. yeah. All right. Kite Man from the Harley Quinn HBO Max show is getting his own spinoff series, which will just be like a general villain spinoff series, which will quote, it will be kind of like cheers for villains. I don't know if you've checked out this show yet. It's fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. Must watch series. 
Uh, Darth Maul was set to be the villain of Obi-Wan Kenobi instead of Darth Vader prior to rewrites. I think this makes sense. It's surprising to me from what I read that Filoni and Favreau were the ones who were like, nah, nah, let's do Vader, which is a little surprising. The unbearable weight of massive talent currently has a 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Amazing. Fucking Nick Cage is back, baby. That is amazing. I heard that Pedro Pascal, even working alongside the scene-chewing Nick Cage steals the film, which really just speaks to the run that he's on. Uh, the script for Dune Part 2 is finished. Uh, I think they're supposed to begin filming this summer. Of course, last week we touched on the fact that they added Austin Butler and Florence Pugh. Sidney Sweeney from Euphoria has been cast alongside of Dakota Johnson and Sony's Madam Web, which Deadline says, quote, will be like the Doctor Strange of the Sony universe. Does that mean bad at her job? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. Does it mean visually? Does it mean her power set? I really don't get that. She's uh, a wild character. So yeah. I am interested in seeing how they adapt her. Uh, while her role has not been disclosed, possibilities include Black Cat, Silver Sable, Gwen Stacy, Charlotte Witter, Jackpot, or Julia Carpenter. I'm only familiar with three of those characters. Cade, this one's for you. Amazon has closed its $8.5 billion acquisition of MGM. What do you think that this means for your boy Bond? It sounded like for a while there that they're like, Bond's its own thing. We're That's not going to play with it. So they say. I hope so. I mean, like, again, I wouldn't mind a spinoff for Anna de Armas' character just because she's cool. But, like, beyond that, I really don't want to see, like, an M story, you know, in his early days. I don't yeah, care. M, M, year one. Yeah, I don't need that. I like Rick <laughs> Fines, but don't need that. I, I want to see Bond movies, and that's all I need. I mean, I'm getting the Bond game, you know, in a few years, I'm sure. So From who? Uh, the Hitman developers, IO Interactive. Fuck yeah. So, Fuck yeah. And aren't yeah, they also doing good. the aren't they doing the Indiana Jones one as well? No, that's uh Machine Games who did Wolfenstein. Okay, okay. Yeah. Fuck, there's some great games in the in yeah. the next few years. They um, figured it out licensed games. Right, right. <laughs> Shout out Arkham. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of which, the Batman crosses $500 million at the global box office and it has yet to release in China. I don't know if it's going to quite get to a Billy. Um, I think Batman v Superman did 850 mil non-pandemic. If it mm. lands around there, that'd be fucking spectacular. Uh, regardless, yeah. it's a massive hit and it wouldn't surprise me if we hear about the Batman 2 sometime this summer. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. And then it is my interview with Dylan O'Brien, who could be seen starring in the outfit alongside Mark Rylance and Zoe Deutsch, which hits theaters today, Friday, March 18th. Folks, today I'm joined by Dylan O'Brien, an actor you may know from projects such as Teen Wolf, Maze Runner, Deepwater Horizon, Love and Monsters, which I actually just watched last night. Great time. Uh, and his oh, new thanks. film, And his new film, The Outfit, which will hit theaters on March 18th. Dylan, congrats on the film and thank you for joining me today, man. Dude, thank you so much. I want to start with something that's both near and dear to our hearts, a curse known as the New York Mets. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> no, I'm just playing with you. We'll uh, chat some Mets at uh, the end if we have. Yep, there you go. My uh, my pops is from Queens. So I'm uh, I'm Jets and Mets. Are you both? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, killer, dude. Um, I can't but, wait. You know, I'm so excited about the Jets. Like, you know, four picks in the top 38. Let's go. Yeah, I, we'll I, see about that. I can't even remember know, the last no, pick we've had. It's hilarious. I mean, I was, I was hilarious. I, Elijah Moore is going to be a stud. Um, mm. But, and Carter too, I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but I was talking about this earlier. We can move on from this super briefly, but I was talking about it earlier, like how the most like Mets Jets fan thing about me, even as like, a, I feel like I'm a pretty level-headed one, but like, I still will just get so excited in like, uh, even just coming off like such a, you know, uh, uh, such failure. Like, I'm just like, I don't know, but, but we got those four, t- four picks though. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, if you can't, if you can't enjoy it now, there's no time to enjoy it. The best time, exactly. about, the, the best time being a Jets and Mets fan is when the games aren't being played. That's true. That's true. All right, man, let's start with your new film, the outfit. I'm curious. Yep. What's the difference in your mindset when it comes to leading a film where you're in virtually every scene, like love mm-hmm. and monsters versus being part of an ensemble, like in this film? Yeah, there is, there is a difference. Um, there's a lot of different uh, aspects to it, I guess. Like one being, you know, sometimes if you are leading something, if you are the scent, if you're sort of like the, the eyes for the audience um, in a way, like, it's a very interesting, um, you're not necessarily like the one who's, who can come in and chew up the scenery, right? You're almost sort of like holding it down for everybody else too, in a way, and sort of serve as the honest engine to kind of like drive the film, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. and again, and I don't know if any of this is right. This is just my take on all of it. Uh, you know, and then I think when you're, when you're a supporting character, you sort of have a little more room to come in and, be a little splashier, you know? Um, uh, again, it always depends on the piece as well. Like it's not that um, a lot, uh, you know, a leading role uh, can't be splashier, flashier, meaty. Um, you know, it's, uh, it depends on the piece for sure. And something like this, you know, I was definitely, um, I was excited to, yeah, to play, to sort of dip my toe in something. And, you know, I'm, I'm not there the whole time. I kind of just play a role and then it's about defining the role that you play to the piece, you know, um, which I think is the same for anything. Um, but in this one, but you do, you have a little bit more leeway to kind of chew it up a bit, you know, and, and, um, you know, you can kind of, uh, uh, go for it a little more you can kind of like take a little leg kick and that swing you know what I'm saying like well one, the point that you make actually I mean great job because it comes across on screen one of the notes that I wrote down when I watched this film was the energy changes in the film when you walk in like you bring oh, a cool. different dynamic to what's going on and especially considering that not only does this film take place in one set but it's the main characters like domain it's very ordered it's very neat right and you come in and just are sort of like just stirring shit up really in a film sense. And I, I, I thought that that was something that I hadn't seen from you before. Cause okay. I'm used to being, I'm used to you being front and center, you know? Right. That's really cool. That's really cool of you to say, man. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Appreciate that. So um, let's talk about that, that voice of yours. Margot <laughs> Robbie, when she was getting her Brooklyn accent down for Wolf of Wall Street, she said that mm-hmm. she got into the zone by someone told her pretend like she has fake nails on. And she kind Hilarious. of and she kind of found the vibe from there. How did you sort of wrap your head around not only the Chicago accent, but the mindset of a like late 1940s gangster? Right. That's really, really funny. Um, it can be sometimes, yeah, like something like that, like a little um, some little characteristic or some little like crutch that like puts it together for you. Cause yeah, I did I the Chicago I was completely unfamiliar with. Um it's not like I had it on, on deck, you know? Um, and that I was always like able to do. And I, I was sort of like, I was like, I, don't know, I was like, fuck, what are the fucking Chicago people? <laughs> yeah. um, 
The and, only the uh, only like the, the voice in my head is from that famous Saturday Night Live sketch from uh, the yeah, 90s yeah. with like Farley oh, and all yeah. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I was doing the same thing. Like I was like, I was like, all right, so what? It's like D's instead of T's and like, you know, you can start breaking it down. I, st- I did a bunch of different things. Um, uh, mainly it just, uh, you know, first of all, I didn't want to do anything that sounded super on the nose, you know? So like, you know, so I, uh, uh, I sort of just tried to find, found my own way into it. I didn't like, you know, work with a dialect coach. Um, we had a dialect coach, um, who, uh, who was like in the vicinity of the film. And, and I, I had an hour session with her at one point in just to, just to bounce off what I was doing to see if she would be like, do not do that. Um, <laughs> and, but I wanted it to really like, you know, accents are so personal, like they're so particular. So I wanted it to be, I think you can, it can be imperfect. It can be, you know, like we, you know, I think he can, the thing I wanted to do, I started listening to like, I was listening to this podcast called the Chicago, it's literally like the Chicago accent guys podcast or something like that. And it's just these guys just like, you know, twirling it up, like doing like Chicago, like a fucking, like, 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 like the furthest you'd ever go. So, and it would just, and it was also, it would also just crack me up. And so I would like listen to that. And I was like, there's elements where I can like go super far here where I think he would like, I'd like love to uh, like go far, you know, um, with it. And then, and then I think there's times where, you know, you, you, you pull it back. There's also like the Chicago and like the Chicago like thing. There's like mm-hmm. the North side, South side difference. Um, and I thought it, that was interesting to play with because Richie is um, no doubt Northside, but I think he kind of like his, his part of his whole thing is like trying to like be tougher than he is. You know, he grew up a rich kid on the North side of Chicago. His dad's a fucking mob boss, you know, um, he's wears fine fucking suits and like, you know, he's a rich kid. Right. So he's North side, but I do, but I ended up going, like, I wanted to say like the Chicago thing, because I think there's like, there's moments where I think you want him to read like he's trying to present street, you know, mm. you know, when you meet like well kids who grew up wealthy and they're insecure that they grew up wealthy. So they like try to overcompensate. For Absolutely. That by, like, by fucking like they, they like they fuck. I'm from Jersey, man. Ball. That's, that's like half the state. <laughs> it's half the state. I know. I know. So like, I, uh, yeah, exactly. Like I, um, um, I just always found that so funny because it, it's, it's the wealthiest kids that I knew growing up who were the ones who were like, most insecure about their wealth and they and they like you know would like talk like they're from like you know whatever and it's just like mm-hmm. suck out of it's insane you know so there's an element of that um and yeah i don't know and then and then getting the clothes on and the rings the ring really helped me if my if I, my margot robbie thing is, is my ring for richie uh because i as soon as I'd put my ring on i'd like hang my hand i like want to like hang my hands there's like a there's something like flamboyant and like rich to me about that like i love right. that he like I love the idea of doing that he pulls off his little leather gloves and like hangs his little hand you know like um as he's like talking shit to somebody you know what I mean like I don't know and so there was uh yeah all those elements would I would um start getting me into the I started just hearing the voice Mm. so it was a mix of all the stuff so you get to share a a pretty meaty one-on-one scene with Mark Rylance who I think is probably the definition of an actor's actor um When you're sharing a screen with someone that's considered one of the greats, does it, uh, whether you want it to or not, does it affect how you prepare and how you perform? Is there a, is there a sense of I've got to bring my fucking a game or else I'm going to get smoked off the screen. How do you, how do you go into sharing scenes with someone like that? And is there anything that you learned from him that you'll carry with you going forward? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as like preparing to like work with Mark, uh, you definitely, I like, you know, I wanted to be like, I wanted to come in prepared and I wanted to know my shit and have ideas and which again, you should always be doing um, mm-hmm. regardless. But yeah, I guess there's a little extra. I mean, how can it not? It's like when you're starting like any new gig and, and with any new people you want to, you know, what do we do? We show up on time. We show up early. We're, we're prepared. We're, you know, uh, we're like, um, you know, it's a, you're starting a new game, right? So right. you're presenting your best self, right? Mm. Um, but as far as the performance went, I was really wanting to not get, you know, in my head about what it was, like, you know, about who I was sitting opposite. And because I, I in, instinctively, I just felt like that would lead to me being not present and um, maybe doing too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... And Mark makes that really easy because he's such a calming presence. Like there's nothing that makes, you know, there's nothing uncomfortable about his presence around you. Right. So like, you're not ever made to feel and he's so supportive too. And he, he's like such a, like, he's like such a fan, you know, like he'll just be like, you're, you're so amazing, you know, which is like hilarious. Cause you're just like, <laughs> dude, you know, but it helps in the moment. It makes you feel comfortable. Right. You're just, right, oh, right, I, right. Can, I can relax and do my thing. I don't have to like overcompensate for anything, you know? If anything, he's also like, you know, he's such a subtle actor on screen that he's doing, and this is like such a, such a subtle performance, you know, that um, you're kind of just yelling with that anyway. And yeah, there's like, it's like a nine pager, us in chairs. I mean, it's like, I could have done it all day. There's a really funny, um, you know, and he's just so amazing because like we come out of like one take and he's like, it's just like a shot. I'll tell us as briefly as possible. We come out of like one take and he's just like, and he's like, how, how did that, how did that feel? I felt like that one was really good. And I was like, yeah, it's fucking great. You know, how about you? And he's like, he's like, I saw you. I saw, on that one I saw you as like a young Irish boy that I used to fight the ball with. And I, and I watched him die. And I saw you all of a sudden. I, you were in my arms and you were dying. And you had the, yeah, you had the, the, you were a soldier. You were a young Irish soldier. Uh, it was really amazing. I, I, what, what did you, what happened for you? And I was like, uh, I, I'm I'm just trying to read the lines, man. Not that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking about what they had out at at Crafty, but yeah, no, it's, and that's why uh, you know you're you, man. Um, uh, and as far as learning something from him, <laughs> um, I learned a lot about. Um, he's such a uh, like you said, an actor's actor, right? So he, I mean, he came up. I mean, he's a knighted theater actor, like who's literally like anointed by some as like the greatest living actor. Right, right, right. Time, right. So this guy is so respected and so admired, and like, and and so experienced, and also comes up through the world where um, it's the actor's medium, right? It's the act, the performance is priority, the acting process is the priority in theater, you know. And I came up very differently where oftentimes that was like not the priority. And if anything too, oftentimes I was like, you know, batted down or um, gaslit for trying to make that a priority in moments, you know, being like, hold on, let's like, let me get into this here and, you know, um, or have ideas or want to change something or want to do things differently or whatever, you know? So it was really cool to sort of be, to watch him sort of in a space and like guide the process a bit with just how he believes um it should be done and like you know we had really proper rehearsal time which you never get and obviously he 
that you know he's the reason we got that and Graham really wanted to protect that and so we got to like rehearse the entire screenplay before we shot the movie which is yeah. in the space you know like a play which is like unfucking believable you know yeah and from what I've heard that's quite rare to have time, so rare. time to rehearse so rare. yeah so rare. You, you like show up you do like costume fittings like makeup tests and you're just like shooting day one and you're like oh whoa whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta have my shit together you know I'm still trying to land this voice here um, yeah exactly exactly so I was talking to uh, Jonathan Majors for the yeah. Harder They Fall. And in that, he's just sort of like a badass gunslinger, Western cowboy. And I asked him, I was like, where does that archetype rank in terms of like dope roles an actor could take on? And I imagine like 1940s Chicago gangster is like one of those roles where it's just such a such an ideal of what like cool acting is. Does that factor into your thought process when you take on roles? Like, I want to play this type of dude. So then you go and seek it out. Or do you just sort of take what comes your way? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, you know, it would be, it doesn't happen in that way, right? Is, is a, you know, 1950s Chicago outfit gangster, like chain smoking, you know, fucking guns. Suited like, up. Suited, you know, in like a fucking $10,000 suit, like, is that a dope role? Absolutely. Um, but do you seek that out? Like, no, I don't necessarily. It's just because, because, because the, the team around it obviously has to be right anyway, or else you're, you know, or else you're sort of um, making something that has no, you know, substance to it, you know? So th this first and foremost, this piece just had such incredible substance to mm. it. The, the script, the screenplay was unbelievable. You know, it was so dialed in from the get-go. It was a ride. It was like, I mean, it is basically word for word, like, you know, we, we barely changed it, you know, and that that's like incredible, especially now it's really rare that a script is like that polished going into production. Um, and so everything was there. And then and the team, the team that came into, I think the script really drew like a lot of amazing, or we had an amazing crew, you know, like there was so many like, fuck, there were like Oscar winners around, you know, our production design, the DP, you know, like everybody is like incredible. Um, and um, and, you know, and obviously Mark as well. So, so, so there is, it has to be the right situation, obviously, like, um, and as far as it being like a dream role in terms of like, just being able to like fucking sink into it and chew it up. I mean, it's an all timer, you know, if anything, I was so trying to teeter back and forth. I was like, I was like, God, I don't want to like leave this set and feel like I didn't like leave it all on the floor, you know, right. uh, um and you really want to soak in that chance and it was really i only shot like nine days of the movie you know? oh so that's great kind of, you know counted to me and i was just like i was like all right i don't want to like you know be extra necessarily but i really want to like chew this up you know and soak this in while i have the chance to do like this i was very aware that it was very you know fucking cool chance. and i definitely think you held your own without like waiting too far into being like a caricature so i think you oh cool man so I was looking through your work and I noticed in 2021, you made some very surprise, but what I think are very smart choices. You popped up in that Mark Wahlberg film, you popped up in Curb mm -hmm. as yourself, and then you yes. popped up in All Too Well. Was this approach yeah. of, of appearing in smaller but different types of projects on purpose? Were you trying to, because you're someone whose career started as sort of like the front-facing A-list guy. So were you intentionally yeah. trying to spread your wings a bit this past yeah. year? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It, 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 you know, well, it was, it, was, it was intentional in that it was like organic to who I am. Um, but, you know, and then not 
it wasn't like strategic necessarily. There's a strategic element to it in terms of just like me wanting to sort of operate in a way that um, is closer to how I feel like as you know, I'm 30 years old now. And like, I, I feel like I know who I am, like as a, as a person and like, as like an artist. And I really, you know, I, I, I feel like I've always, I've always felt like I was like, you know, a character actor. Um, and I, you know, and it's funny because I, I think I started on, you know, and, um, but that, that's what we do anyway. We're, we're fucking always playing characters, but I, I, I do feel like that is like my inner self and that's like what interests me. And that's like what I like to do. You know, I don't think I have like one, one face that I just use, you know, and, um, and that's what I think is fun and cool. So, so yeah, I think it probably just is, uh, is me just sort of getting that chance now to, um, to dip my toes in like different things. And um, I just had a cool plethora of kind of things that I came across this year, all just felt really like different, all felt like um, they, they had a really chance to be cool, different like original, like, you know, uh, offbeat things. And some of them I was only on for like two weeks and then I'm out, you know, which I'd never done before in my career. So it, right. it felt really cool to, um, you know, I think I did like five things this year. Um, which is crazy. Like, like, you know, I was on four film sets and then if you throw in the, the Taylor music video, you know, um, you throw in the curb thing too in the six. And I think if you added the, the, all the days together, I probably worked like less uh, days still than like it would take to do like one Maze Runner movie. Right. Example, you know, right. So it was like a really cool um, thing to just sort of, yeah. Um, really switch it up and play all these different characters uh on these cool different, you know, projects um, that for each of their own reasons, I felt like I would, you know, do again and again. And um, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that that trend but, is continuing with this film. So yeah, right on. Uh, right um, on. So I've got to let you go. So I want to wrap with one more. And I actually, I swear, I wasn't going to do this to you. But last uh, night I was going uh, through your Twitter and you tweeted about a little film called The Batman, which gave me the end. <laughs> Now, if you look at the replies, there are quite a lot of people who want to see you cast as a certain side character, oh. Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, a.k.a. Nightwing. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but I just figured that I would give you the chance to speak on that if you want to at all. Uh, I, I'll speak on it. I am aware of it. I've seen a lot of it. Uh, uh, I Unfortunately, yeah, like I have not heard anything about it on like a professional side, so... Um, it's cool. It's cool that like, I, you know, it made its way to me. Like I've seen so much of it, like, uh, to the point where I even like, I was like, asked my manager, I was like, is this even like an actual thing? Or is this fully like fan cast? Um, and she was like, it's fully fan cast. <laughs> well, keep, uh, keep, uh, your hopes up, pal. Pat Pattinson said that he would like routinely check in on like the new Batman film. And then one day they were like, yeah, they're doing it. So. Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. Keep swinging, That's man. Awesome. Hey, I thought you were great in this film. I'm really excited to see Thanks, where Steve. you are taking your career. I wish you and our Mets nothing but the best down Me the road, too. man. Me too. Me too. Thanks, Eric. It was awesome Th talking. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that, Cheers. man. Take care. Thanks. Peace. All right. And thank you to Dylan for joining us. You could see him in the outfit, which hits theaters today, Friday, March 18th. He, he was a great guy. I wrote in the editorial version of our chat that he's probably the most like me of any actor I've ever spoken to. Cool guy. <laughs> great chat. 
Um, like I said, this is probably the last week until, like, one of the last weeks where we don't have something major to talk about. Um, Moon Knight hits Disney Plus 12 days from today, so we'll be covering that. We'll see if anything pops up in the meantime, but if not, we will talk to you all then. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.